That was the right song for today. Yeah, we face oceans this new year. We have no clue what's coming next. But he does. So get out of the boat as we do today. Walk on the water with him. The only key, keep your eyes locked on his. Don't take your eyes off of Jesus. It's a beautiful song. It's good to worship on this eighth day of January, second Sabbath of 2022. Hard to believe. I'm going to pray with you. And then we're plunging into our teaching today. I'm pretty excited about it. Obscure, obscure passage. Let's see what God does with it. Let's pray. Father, we've been in worship, in prayer, in the Word now, in music. The music is still ringing in our souls. Thank you. Hush every sound besides your voice right now. Our eyes are on Jesus by faith. Speak to us. In his name we humbly ask. Amen. Amen. So what we're about to read, for me, okay, for me, it feels like an, an urgent prayer to God for America. But if you're my friend Gilbert, You're going to read this, and you're going to feel like it's an urgent prayer to God for Cameroon. And if you're my friend Trudy, you're going to read it, this prayer, and you're going to hear an urgent prayer to God for Myanmar. It's a genius of Scripture. doesn't matter what your homeland is. doesn't matter who you are. There's somebody waiting to make the connect. And everybody who picks up the book is now in that connect zone. Like I say, makes me feel like I'm going to read about America here. After all, we just passed a one-year anniversary of sorts. We're trying to forget it. But there's been a whole lot of soul-searching going on in Kazakhstan because that's another country going through its earnest prayer time. Open your Bible with me to a psalm you've never read, probably. It's Psalm 60. Psalm 60. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Everybody knows Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I learned from him, and I've been doing it ever since. I read it in his little book, uh, Letters and Papers from Prison. So he wrote this from prison to a good friend of his named Eberhard. And, and he says in, in that letter, he says, I find great comfort in reading a psalm a day. Well, he's a Lutheran pastor, and I said, listen, if, he, if a Lutheran pastor can find great comfort, why can't I, little Adventist pastor that I am? And so I began, I began then, and I've been doing it ever since, reading a psalm a day. And when you get to 150, you go back to one the next day. So every 150 days, you come back to this same psalm. And I've been coming back to this same psalm time after time after time, and there's a line in it, I'm going to show you the line right now, that has really perplexed me, and I'm saying, what does this line mean? I need you to help. 
Go on the journey with me. Open your Bible to Psalm 60, 60. It's, it's composed by David. It's a, it's a, it's a hymn prayer. And Simon Luke Brown, just a moment ago, with, with Kenneth Logan, a beautiful prayer, Be Thou My Vision. It's a hymn and a prayer. That's, that's what David composed, hymn prayers. So this is Psalm 60. In the time of a great battle. That adds a little bit of, ooh, maybe we could relate to this. So open your Bible to Psalm 60. I'll be in the uh, New International Version. And let's just, let's, let's see if we can figure it out. You'll see, you'll see the line in just a moment, all right? Psalm 60. Now put it, those of you who are watching live, screen, live stream, we're delighted that you're here. A banner unfurled. That's where we're plunging in right now. And here comes Psalm 60, verse 1. You have rejected us, O God, and burst upon us. Whew. You have been angry. Now restore us. Here it comes. You have shaken the land and torn it, up, torn it open. I don't know what land is your homeland, but I'm, gonna, I'm thinking of my homeland. Torn open. Are you kidding? This land has been torn in half, ripped in half. Torn. God, what are you doing? Shaking the land and torn it open. Mend its fractures. Are you serious? Life in America now is fractured on every level of society. Race, fractured. Economy, fractured. Religion, fractured. Politics, fractured. Friendships, fractured. Health, fractured. You've shaken the land and torn it open. Mend its fractures, for it is quaking. It's probably two of your homeland, wherever you're from. Robert Alter, in his magnum opus, his one-man Hebrew translation, we would call it the Old Testament. It's the Bible to him. It's the Hebrew Bible in his three-volume, which I have and am blessed by. Robert Alter renders these words this way. Verse 1, God, you have abandoned us, breached us. You were incensed. Restore us to life. Verse 2, you made the land quake. You cracked it. Heal its shards, for it has toppled. There are a lot of prognosticators out there. I'm talking about my own homeland. A lot of prognosticators out there prognosticating. And some of them whose, whose uh, mind I appreciate or value for its thinking ability are describing where they believe this all leads. It's troubling. I'm not going to say a word about it. Toppled? Let's keep reading this prayer. David, you have shown, O God, your people desperate times. You've given us wine that makes us stagger. COVID-19, can you believe this COVID-19? What is it now, Omicron? A week ago yesterday, I'm in the ICU unit of the hospital nearby, and I'm there with a wife and a colleague, and we are having an anointing service for a friend of mine who used to be on our staff, children's ministry, COVID plus pneumonia, ventilator breathing for him. This pandemic-infected, intoxicated land, we all know the story. It feels like he's talking about America, although he's thinking about Israel long ago. 
Robert Alter renders these words, you sated, you saturated your people with harsh drink. You made us drink poison wine. It's happening to the culture now, poison wine. Keep reading because here we come to that line. I want you to watch this one very carefully. I'll put it first in the NIV on the screen here. But for those who fear you, you have raised a banner to be unfurled against the bow. Every 150 days, I'm reading that line and I'm asking myself the question, what in the world is this unfurled banner? I have no idea. And I just said, oh, well, I don't know. You don't, it's not important. Just keep reading. But finally, one of those cycles, the time came and I said, wait a minute. I got to find this out. What is this banner? Hey, you remember pictures from the Civil War? You know, there weren't a whole lot of them. They were black and white, and I forget what the word is, dogger type or something like that. It's a, it's a crazy word for, for the photographs back then. But you remember uh, U- Ulysses Grant or Robert E. Lee, they're, they're sitting on a horse in the picture. Of course, they always have their hand in their coat. You remember that? And there's a little ensign standing by them with a long pole, and at the to- top of the pole is a banner. Do you know what that banner is? It is a banner that marks the general in the army, the general who's leading the battle. All soldiers keep their eye on that banner because that's where the general is fighting now. You, but to those who fear you for them, you have raised a banner to be unfurled against the bow. What is this unfurled banner? The Robert Alter again. You once gave to those who fear you a banner for rallying. Ooh, see, you rallying around it because of the truth. Let me go to the New American Standard Bible. This is how they rendered this line. And I think... This is the new, new American Standard Bible, NASB. You, O God, have given a banner to those who fear you that it may be displayed, NIV, unfurled because of the truth. So what do we know just from one, one little line in a, in, a, for, in a forgotten psalm? Here's what we know. In a time of crippling, fracturing, staggering national crisis, God unfurls a banner. That's what we know. So the question that begs itself right now is, yo, what's this banner? That's what I was curious about. So you know what? I said, I got to check this out. I went on a hunt, and I'm going to take you on the hunt right now. I went on a hunt for this word, banner, and discovered it's a phrase God uses multiple times, only in the Old Testament. Let's see if we can figure it out. Let me just run some lines by you. See, which, see, see if this helps, illumines our search here. So this is Isaiah. Most of the usage is in Isaiah. Watch this, Isaiah 13, verses 2 to 4. Raise a banner on a bare hilltop. Why is the banner raised on a hilltop? It's because there everybody can see it. That's why it's there. It's not raised in a forest. It's on a hilltop where it can be seen. Raise a banner on a bare hilltop. God speaking, I have commanded those I prepared for battle. The Lord Almighty is mustering an army for war. I get it. Wow. Here's the next one. Isaiah 18, 3. All you people of the world. Wait a minute. This is universal. This is not just little, little Israel here in the time of David. This is world. All you people of the world, you who live on the earth, when a banner is raised on the mountains. Why is it on the mountains? So it can be seen. You will see it. And when a trumpet sounds, you will hear it. 
So I'm starting to feel this. I'm starting to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. This, this banner, this is not some insignificant little throwaway line. Something's going on here. Anything more, Isaiah? Yep, Isaiah 49, 22. This is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I will beckon to the nations, universal. I will lift up my banner to the peoples. They will bring, oh, I love this. They will bring your sons in their arms and carry your daughters on their hips. So those are little kids. You know, when you carry, you can carry a little girl, you can just put your hip out like this and that little girl can sit right there. These are the, these are the nations of the world. Who are, who are these? These are the sons and daughters of the community of faith being brought back by the nations of the world to their faith community. Something's happening. Of course, he's talking about the exile and people coming back from the exile one day. What's going on here? What is this banner, this unfurled banner? One more from Isaiah, Isaiah 62, verses 10 to 12. Pass through, God says, pass through the gates. Come on, prepare the way for the people. Raise a banner for the nations. There it is again. The Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. What's this proclamation? Here it is. Say to daughter Zion, oh, we know who she is. Those friends of Jesus. Say to daughter Zion, see your Savior comes. See his reward is with him. They will be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. It's one of Isaiah's favorite phrases, the redeemed of the Lord. Now listen, when we read those words as we just did, as as followers of Christ, for us clearly, come on, for us clearly, the banner is a call to the nations in preparation for the return of Jesus. In fact, do you know what? The last words of Jesus in the apocalypse, the last words of Jesus, the red letter words of Jesus in Revelation. Here it is. Behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me. Jeremiah's quoting the apocalypse. Wrong. The apocalypse is quoting Jeremiah, as you're going to see in just a moment. When Isaiah joins him, And he takes a line. Revelation 22 is quoting this line. What is this banner unfurled? Oh, there is one more, and it is from Jeremiah. And I got to share this with you because you're going to recognize this immediately. God speaking, telling Jeremiah, I want you to announce to the people. Announce and proclaim among the nations. Lift up a banner and proclaim it. Keep nothing back. There's that banner again. But here's what I want you to say, Jeremiah. Babylon will be captured. Her images will be put to shame and her idols filled with terror. Now, in the very next chapter, Jeremiah cries out, Babylon is fallen, and then he issues the call, come out of her, my people. Now, there's nobody that's read the apocalypse that does not recognize immediately the words of of, of Revelation chapter 18. Jeremiah is not quoting the apocalypse. The apocalypse is quoting Jeremiah chapter 51. So whatever this banner is, when it's unfurled, guess what? It's a part of the divine end game. So whatever this banner is, hmm, what is it? Hey, look, I want to be gentle. I do not want to force a metaphor to make a point of my own choosing, all right? But here's what we know. See if this is right. Number one, what do we know? It is clearly unfurled by God, this banner, to rally those who are loyalists, those who who fear him in the great day of battle. Okay, we know that. 
That's number one. Number two, what else should we know? Just as clearly, it is a call that takes on heightened meaning when the time for the Messiah's second coming has come. And finally, number three, we do know this. This unfurled banner plays a part in the apocalyptic endgame, not just any old part. May I put that line back up from our our theme text here? Uh, Psalm 60, verse 4 from the New American Standard. God, you have given a banner to those who fear you that it may be displayed, NIV says, unfurled because of the truth. So here's the question. What truth? I suppose that God being God, he can have, he can have, he doesn't have to ask me, he can have multiple banners to unfurl. Don't you suppose he could? I mean, he could. Why not? But here's what I think. Help me out now. I'm firmly believing that one of his banners to rally the world to his side before the Messiah returns, comes the second time, has everything to do with time. I'm talking about T-I-M-E, time. I'm not talking about the magazine. Time. 60 seconds to a minute. 60 minutes to an hour. 24 hours to a day. Seven days to a week. 360 some, no, no, 30 days to a month, and then 360 some odd days to a year. I'm thinking about time. And do you know what? There are philosophers on this planet today who do nothing but philosophize and think about time. I go to the university library here, and guess what I find? A whole shelf dealing with the philosophy and the history of time. Go figure. And I found a book there written by an Anthony Avani. Title of his book, Empires of Time. He is the Russell B. Colgate Professor of Astronomy and Anthropology at Colgate University. He is or was. These are his words. You got to see this. This is something else. Watch this. Any page of a wall calendar will reveal another subdivision in the time units Westerners have created. So he doesn't put a picture of a wall calendar. He describes it. You'll you'll get it. So any page will, will show you the time units we Westerners have created. Keep reading. Seven, seven vertical divisions on the page to the sequence of numbered blocks, each column with its own name. What, what, what are those seven? Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, right? Okay, but keep reading. The four or five horizontal bands called weeks into which we group the moon's days to constitute a peculiar time division. Now keep reading. There is no single celestial body such as sun or moon, no obvious natural cycle to which we can directly attribute this little packet of time. Keep reading. Moreover, many other cultures and traditions also tally an interval of about the same general duration in their calendars, end quote. I love how he calls it, this little packet of time. That's the week, this little packet of time. Now, come on. There are a lot of bright people sitting in this congregation right now. So you're going to help me out. Please do this. The earth spins once, goes around once. What do we call that, that uh, single rotation of the earth? Come on. What is it called? It's called a day. Very good. The earth spins, goes around 30 days when it goes around the the moon, and what do we call that? A month or a month, all right? The earth takes, what, 360-some 
days to go around the sun. And what do we call that again? We call that a year. Now, every seven days, what's happening with the earth? What's happening with the moon? Come on, help me out. Every seven days, you're you're scientists here. Every seven days, what's happening in the universe? Every seven days. The answer is absolutely nothing. Nothing. There's no, no movement, nothing. You know why? Because of this little packet of time God invented. That's why God, who created in the beginning, at the beginning of this earth, its history and the human race, he creates this little packet of time called weak. And there is nothing in the universe to prove it except And I'll say this humbly, but I mean it. There is no satisfactory explanation for the seven-day week outside of the creation story in Genesis 1 and 2. You can go all the way through the James White Library until you're blue in the face. Bring me anything you find. You won't find it. The most satisfactory explanation is in the creation account. In fact, let's go. Come on, let's just check it out. Here it is, Genesis. Everybody knows Genesis chapter 1, the beautiful, the majestic creation of the, of the terrestrial ball called planet Earth and the human race. And it ends, day six ends this way. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, one rotation of the planet, the sixth day. Now, the very next words are here in Genesis 2. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. What do we just read? God creates time all by himself. He creates the planetary rotations as markers for human time. The hour, the day, the month, the year. He creates all the time. But the only marker that he creates for the seven-day week is the seventh day. That's it. He would one day call it Shabbat. It's from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means rest. He would call it Sabbath. The seventh day. The creator who needs no rest, by the way. Can you believe that? He's not tired. The creator who needs no rest creates a day as a capstone at the end of the week. You know why? Because this is going to be a very special day between the creator and his created in his own image creatures called humans on this planet. Every single seventh day. Day at the end of every single week comes as a relational invitation from this God of the universe to say, hey, today, today is just you and me. Clear the decks. It's the seventh day, Shabbat. Why would he do that? Because the maker of all things loves and wants me, that's why. Remember that line? We come back to it now. The maker of all things loves and wants me. He really is a relational being. He hungers for a relationship. And by the way, he has created you to hunger for a relationship. 
And he's created the church to know that there are people hungering for a relationship who are not finding it. They are lonely. They are sitting in our midst, but they are all alone. They ought not to be alone for long. The church is a community to reach out because we're created for relationship. God said, I made you that way. You're going to want me on the seventh day. And I want you. Every single seventh day of every week. Not at the beginning of the week. Not in the middle of the week. Not near the end of the week. No, 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 no. Every single week is capstoned on the seventh day with God. Why? Because the maker of all things loves and wants me. And that's why, that's why, my friends, when the creator of the universe and the earth comes down to earth, come on, we've just been spending a whole month celebrating it, and, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word by whom all things came into existence, he's made flesh. When Christ comes to earth and becomes Jesus, that's why he was so big on the seventh day Sabbath. He's huge on it. The Sabbath was not made for the Jews. It was made for the human race. Watch this. Oh, you know these words. Mark 2, 27. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. I have a translation that, that reads this way. The Sabbath was made for people, not people for the Sabbath. Jesus goes on. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Why? Because the maker of all things loves and wants me. Loves and wants you. And it's created as the capstone of every single week of your life, the seventh day to come to be you and me together now. Wow. It's beautiful. <laughs> His longing for a relationship. Abraham Joshua Heschel, the, the, the great uh, uh, Jewish scholar and mystic, he wrote, he wrote a, an essay, 100 pages long, and he, he titled the essay, The Sabbath. And I read it years ago, but I ordered it on, Am on Amazon.com uh, last week and read it through. You can read it through just like that. He makes a point. I want you to get this. So this is, the, this is Abraham Joshua Heschel. The Sabbath is not for the sake of the weekdays, the weekdays are for the sake of the Sabbath. Well, I like that. It is not an interlude, but the climax of living. Now, sometimes we treat the last day of the week, and listen, this is where I catch my breath. This is where I get my life back together because, man, I got to go in another, I got another week ahead of me. No, no, it's not an interlude. It is the climax. The week climaxes here. Then the week goes down and starts all over again, coming back. That's Heschel. Keep reading. This, oh, I love this. The seventh day is like a palace in time with a kingdom for all. You ever been in a palace? Every country has its palaces, except America. But you go in a palace, it's a beautiful place. Heschel says, hey, wait a minute. You know what the Sabbath is? The Sabbath is like a palace in time with a kingdom for all, universal. He's a Jew, but he's not saying it's just for Jews. He's saying, no, it's for everybody. And he got it right. Jesus made that point 2,000 years ago. It was made for humankind. That's why I made it, Jesus says. 
The seventh day is like a palace in time with the kingdom for all. Keep reading. In which the human is at home with the divine. A dimension in which man aspires to approach the likeness of the divine. Now keep reading. The love of the Sabbath. He says, we we, we ought to love the day. The love of the Sabbath is the love of man and woman for what they and God have in common. Oh, and this is good. Our keeping the Sabbath day is a paraphrase of his sanctification of the seventh day. Now, that's complicated. You're looking at that and you're saying, what did that, what is that sentence saying? So let's keep it on the big screen and this screen as well. I want you to just look at that sentence for a minute. Our keeping the Sabbath day is a paraphrase of God's sanctification of the seventh day. In other words, the way I keep the Sabbath is to be a paraphrase of the way God sanctifies the Sabbath. And I, I, the, the word sanctifies is really hard to understand for, for us third millennials. And so I, I say, let's use the word holyizes. God holyizes the seventh-day Sabbath. You say, how does God holyize something? I'll, I'll remind you. Come on, you remember the story. You remember Moses in the burning bush? All right, so he's looking over there. That bush is so beautiful. It is so tender. It is so soft and green. Maybe it's even flowering. He cannot understand it because it is engulfed in flames. And so he says, sheep, you stay here. I got to check this thing out. And he's going to poke it with his staff when there's a thundering voice that says, yo, on your face, boy. Take your shoes off. You are on holy ground. Hey, wait a minute. Come on, help me out here. What made, what made that ground holy? What made that bush holy? What made that bush holy? Help me out. What made that bush holy? God was in it. God was in it. That's why it's holy. What makes the Sabbath holy? Help me out now. What makes the Sabbath holy? God is in it. Not in Sunday, not in Monday, not in Tuesday, not in Wednesday, Not in Thursday, not in Friday, in Sabbath, Shabbat, I've immersed myself. And what Heschel is telling us, is that line still on the screen? Good. What Heschel is telling us is, as God has immersed himself in the seventh day Sabbath, we ought to immerse ourselves into that same day with him. Immerse yourself, Dwight. Your mind is a thousand miles away. You're not focused on me. You're not thinking about me. You're not even sensing I'm near you. This is my day. And I was hoping you and I together could bond. Immerse yourself with me. Wow. He's present in it. Our keeping the Sabbath day is a paraphrase of his, his holy izing, his own holy izing of the seventh day. But here's the question. Come on, help me out now. But do I, do you, do we make it evident to those who know us that we seek to join God in his holy izing of the Sabbath day by the way we conduct ourselves in those 24 hours? Do we? Huh? Do we immerse ourselves as if we were in the very presence of God himself? Do we? Is the creator who went to all the trouble of creating this little packet of time, seven days long, just just so that he might existentially, that means right up and inside of us, join you and me in, in blessed interaction. Is my creator the focus 
of my heart and mind on this day he personally crafted in order to spend with me, or am I just another universe away? Yeah, you're right. Lord, have mercy. If the Sabbath, now listen to me carefully. If the Sabbath is Christ's unfurled banner, and I believe it is, a banner unfurled. If the Sabbath is Christ's unfurled banner to call back, call the world back to him as creator and savior, then listen, how I spend the seventh day is a moral and ethical issue of significant magnitude and great importance. I can't just blow this off and say, well, that's just your particular style. That's just, you know, that's just uh, how you like to do it. But uh, I do it my way. I can't do that. I can't. Why? Because I've immersed myself in that day. How you respond to me on that day tells me what you think about me. It is a moral issue. It is an ethical issue. You can't laugh it away. You can't say, well, come see, come see. Doesn't matter. No. How does the fourth commandment read? Please remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Oh, but I forget. I'm sorry. <laughs> I forget that I'm preaching now. I've been hired by this community to do this to them. I'm preaching now to a faith community that says, hey, boy, you don't understand. I already know all this. And of course, you're right. I look into your faces. You do. You know it very well. Oh, yes. Don't you tell me about this community of faith. No question in their minds which day is God's Sabbath like the other nine commandments. This community believes that keeping the fourth commandment is no different than keeping the other nine. You keep all ten because God spoke all ten and then with his own finger wrote it into granite never to be erased again. Yeah, oh, this is the community of faith. Oh, they're good people. They know that. Mm-hmm. Oh, and they'll be quick to tell me, you, nobody keeps the commandments to be saved. I don't keep the fourth commandment to be saved. No, 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 no. This community has it right. It knows that all ten commandments are kept not because I want to be saved, but because I'm already saved by Jesus Christ, as the creator and savior of the world, the Lord Jesus himself. I have a relationship with him, and I keep all ten. Don't you come and tell me you can keep nine of them and have that relationship, but you can't do the fourth commandment because that's legalism when you do the fourth commandment. You are dead wrong. It's no more legalism for the fourth commandment than it is for one, two, three, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Oh, excuse me. Pardon me. I forgot to whom I am speaking. This community has the day down pat. But what deeply concerns me is that I fear that this great community that knows the day has forgotten all about the way of the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day. We got that part. To keep it holy, that's what we struggle with. 
I went into a home not long ago, uninvited, unanticipated, certainly unexpected. It was on a Sabbath. I was just dropping by for the, something for the family and wanted to say hi. Wonderful family. The place was full. I mean, it was full. People everywhere laughing, joy in the air, young and not so young, everybody in that beautiful space. But the music that was blaring and the television that was blinking and the live streaming that was being live streamed. Somebody forgot to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Or perhaps for many of us, it doesn't matter anymore. <sighs> Just killing time. Sacred, holy eyes filled with, filled with God Almighty himself time. I'm just killing it every single Sabbath. You can't kill the Sabbath. But you can kill your heart. Have we come to that? Where it doesn't matter anymore in our dormitories, in our classrooms, in our homes, in our circle of friends, in our circle of fellowship. I want to tell you something, and I'm embarrassed to tell you this. I blush. Realizing. I have sat in many a Sabbath afternoon conversation where the topic of conversing had nothing to do with God, nothing to do with Jesus, nothing to do with spiritual life, nothing. We were a thousand million miles away that Sabbath afternoon, and I was there, the preacher. The pastor, talking it up like everybody else in that space. And I apologize to you right now. This isn't just about you. This is about us. Killing time. Just killing time. Could it be? Like the rest of evangelical Christianity, where for them, <laughs> the day of rest has become one hour or maybe two hours on a Sunday morning and then bring on the football games all Sunday afternoon into the evening. Have we become like that ourselves? Have we? Waiting for sundown, but not even waiting. 
Or could it be you and I, we just need a primer. We just need a reminder, a refresher on what exactly, what existentially the Sabbath really does mean. Maybe we need the journey we are embarking on together right now, together. Don't you go absenting yourself. Well, I, I, I have other plans. This is not going to be a scolding series. I've, I've already identified my own failure. But if the banner is unfurled near the end of time, maybe this does matter for you and me. Over the holidays, Karen and I watched Chariots of Fire. You know, remember that old, 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 whatever. Yeah. But I remind you the story. It's the story of Eric Little, the young Scott, who became world famous as a sprinter at the 1924 Paris Olympics. Oh, my. What a story. A friend of mine gave me a book called For the Glory. And, oh, it's just an incredible story. He not only gained fame, I just remind you, he not only gained fame for his record-breaking speed, but he also gained global notoriety when one day at the Olympics he said, wait a minute, I didn't know that was on Sunday. I will not run that race. It's on, it's on the Sabbath. And he calls it the Sabbath. He's wrong. But he called it the Sabbath. And he said, I will not run on that day. <laughs> he met with the Olympic Committee and the Prince of Wales, because he's a United Kingdom boy. The Prince of Wales is there, and they're putting a little bit of pressure on this young man. Come on, boy. You can't tell me, son, that just one little tiny race, and your God's going to be upset with you on this. Give it up, please. The, for, the, for the motherland, do this. And he was adamant, I will not. And while he was wrong about the day, which is the Bible Sabbath, I must tell you that I admired him and still do for his conscientious spirit in doing his best to keep the Sabbath holy as if it were on Sunday. Wrong day, right way. But how will heaven judge it? Hmm? Wrong day. Right way for him or right way, wrong way for you? Huh? For the next few Sabbaths, you and me, let's go with Jesus and let's see if we can figure this out together. It'll be a joyful experience. Because I, I must be, be very candid with you. I mean, who wants to be killing time at the end of time? Not me. Not you. Let's pray. Oh, God, not us, please. Killing time at the end of time. No. We choose to follow the Lord of the Sabbath. And on his day, in his way, teach us how. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Your connect card is sitting right there. Just text the word banner one 
for this new series, Banner 1 to 269-281-2345. You want to go to the internet, there it is. There's some next steps. I want to send you some material, okay? Hold on. Box number one, even as God immerses himself into the seventh-day Sabbath, I want to learn how to immerse myself into the Sabbath with him. Me too. I'm putting a check mark there. Are you putting a check mark there? I'm sure you are. Box number two, I accept Jesus as Lord of the Sabbath and choose to follow him. Hey, I'm going to do this right now. How many want to follow Jesus as Lord of the Sabbath? Just let me see your hands. I would think it's pretty much this entire congregation and all those watching on live stream. Why wouldn't I want to follow the Lord of the Sabbath? Of course. He who is Lord of salvation is Lord of the Sabbath. He who is Lord of the Sabbath became Lord of salvation. On Calvary, he cries out, it is finished. At the end of creation, he says, it's very good. Same Jesus, same Lord of the Sabbath, and I want to follow him. I want to follow him by the way I immerse myself in that day. Come on. We can do it with his help and by his grace. We can do it. There's a world that desperately needs to see this banner unfurled at this critical moment in human history. There's one more box here. Send me some reading material on the Sabbath. I want to know more. Now, if you have enough reading material at home, don't, don't put a check mark there. Just read the stuff you already have. A lot of us have books sitting there that have not been read in a long time. But if you've not, you're encountering this, you're watching on live stream somewhere, you're sitting here as a guest, you say, man, Dwight, I never knew about this. Send me some material. I'd like to pray about it. I'd like to think about it. You put a check mark there and electronically, and I'll make sure you get that material. You'll be blessed. You'll be very blessed. His day, his way, that all the people say, Amen. Amen.